has written some good stuff. Um, but I, I heard him talking about how every once in a while, it's good for humans to have a little humility. And I thought that was interesting coming from a, a secular, you know, pop culture writer to be talking about humility. It's not exactly where you expect to hear it, right? Um, and he was commenting on just how many things that humans generally accepted to be true 50 years ago that we don't today. You go even further, 150 years. Right? You know, when, when the novel Moby Dick came out, uh, critics said it was lousy, people didn't pay it much attention, and now it's considered a classic piece of literature. Yeah, I mean, the same was largely true of, of Shakespeare. And, and, I mean, look at science. The things that scientists believed 50 years ago are laughable today, by and large. Anyone keep up with science? Like, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, hello. At one point, people thought the, the world was flat. Anyone here? I'm, no, let's not go there. Right? <laughs> and a part of the reason why this is true and not healthy for our relationship if we call ourselves a Jesus follower is that human nature tends to work like this once you get to a certain, you've grown up a certain amount. Which for some of us that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> myself included. Um, is once you've found something that you believe to be true, you tend to always look for things to support that. Right? And anything that sounds like it, we just, oh, we just, it's that supports that fact. The problem is that this breeds familiarity and a complete lack of actual personal relationship with God. Because what happens quite naturally through our carnal nature is, oh, I've checked the God box, I'm good. The reason why I, I like C.S. Lewis a little bit more than um, like the shack that's coming out in, in a movie is because C.S. Lewis, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, well, in his other writings that are so overlooked, that are so good, but in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the depiction of Aslan, we get a respect for, we need to let God be God and not tell God who he is. Right? And, 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 and not put him in a box... That just sounds foolish, right? But that's mentally, that's what we do. Like, I've come to understand, like, this is who God is. And I bet if we, if we just gathered around a table today and all we did was talk about who we see God is, we would say some things that are similar and we would say some things that are really different that would cause us to think about it. That's why every once in a while in the songs that you have in the middle of your Bible, the fast food section, the Psalms, every once in a while you see that word selah which means stop and think about it. Bam, mic drop, right? I, so much in this sermon series, am trying to entice you, excite you, cause you to stop and think, what is it about God that I don't know, that I don't understand? Who is God that I have not yet learned, that I have not yet experienced? We're talking about information. We're talking about truth, uh, theology, doctrine, fundamentals that are huge themes throughout Scripture. But we are also talking about aspects of God that are true that you need to personally experience. And if, like most humans in our carnal nature, which I just, I've checked the God box, I'm good... 
We won't be learning. We won't be interested. And nothing else that I have to say today or the scriptures say will be relevant to you. Because coming in, it's like, it's a miracle that I got here, PB. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? And yeah, this, these simple sermons you do. Am I the only human in the room? Right? But I, I want you, sometimes the purpose for a sermon series is actually something I get from scripture because the scripture does the same thing. And that is repetition that comes like rain. Rain over a season. Do you know that rain over a season has a purpose? To help bring life where there is death. And what I have found is that for most humans, you hear it once, it's not enough. And so what I'm actually trying to do is to teach less for more. Does that make sense? Is this helpful to you? Okay. I Feel free to amen and shout and all that. I mean, that's not what I'm going for here. What I'm trying to have in this moment is some personal interaction with you. That's the purpose of this. Because I can with confidence say that you don't right now have a complete understanding of God. You know why I can say that? Because you're not in heaven. You're still in this human body. Still limited by a human brain. And if we're to believe medical and scientific research, no one in this room is using more than 10%. No offense to our PhDs. Nobody. Right? God wants to engage your whole person. So are you willing to learn more about who God is? Say, I know that some of us are wondering, you know, why isn't Pastor Ben making a lot more comments on current events? Well, if you're paying attention, I actually am. If you're paying attention, I actually am. I just focused on the stuff that really matters. Are you with me? Yeah. As it was a little cheeky on my part. I love you. So we're in this series, Love Gives. And your card on one side, on the top, you have the context of 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And Holly referenced this this morning in, in prayer and communion. On the back, you have some of the working definition of agape, a God kind of love, which is a Greek word that's introduced here. And what we've found is that the English language is quite limited and we don't really understand what's being communicated. We're we're not trying to make approaching God more difficult by talking about the language. We're actually trying to make it easier, more accessible, right? Sound good? So the premise that we're working on is that we should be living loved, What that means is that you experience the love of God. Because what we are not talking about is trying harder. Yeah, thank you. Somebody say, thank you, Pastor Ben. Right? We are not talking about trying harder. We're talking about you receiving the love that God has for you as a person first. Because trying to give away a God kind of love before you have done that is like trying to use a debit card before there was ever a deposit made. It don't work that way. Right? 
We're talking about you receiving the love of God, living love. Everything that we do when we gather here, when we gather in homes, when we read the word, when we memorize the scripture, when we share Jesus with others, all of it should be out of a love response to God. Not to try to prove anything, not to try to get something out of it. Are you with me? Those are wrong relationships, immature relationships with God that we start out with. This, we'll talk about that more later. So the premise that when I learn more about God's love, I can better receive it, be changed by it, and bring it to others. God's love is faithful, patient, kind, and selfless. And last Sunday, we looked at patient. God's love is patient. If you, if you had to miss that, please, uh, cityharborchurch.com or iTunes, you can pull it up, listen to it, even we'll work on your phone, stream it, listen to it, very, very helpful. God's love is patient. It's patient with you. And today we're going to talk about the way that God's love is kind. Now we're, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and on the card, on the side that starts with the definition, the bottom half of that card, we have three different translations of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, which, surprisingly enough, was not written for weddings, but can be used for them. So in the New Living Translation, on the bottom half of your card, we have love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now below that, what I've done for you is put the passage from the ESV with the message right after it, okay? So love is patient, kind, love does... uh, That's a typo. I just noticed that. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love never gives up, cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. That's love. Now today we're going to look at Kindness. And to unpack uh, a better definition, a broader understanding of this Greek word and how it's used, we've got it on the screen there for you. Kindness includes an act of grace. Grace, remember, a Bible definition would be good that we do not deserve. It includes an act of grace. It's useful. It's serviceable. Adapted to its purpose. It's good and good for you. It's pleasant and practical. That's kindness. Now, some of you know that uh, last week my grandfather passed away and I spent a couple days in Kansas uh, to, with family to remember him. And they asked me to um, talk about him in the service. And I was thinking about my grandfather and um, this is my mom's dad. And I think 
kind is one way that I would describe him. He was a good grandfather uh, to me and to all his grandkids and his ten great-grandkids. He was kind because he always chose to share a smile. Some of you saw my post, it's no small thing. His mother died when he was young and his father didn't know what to do with him and he bounced from family member to family member. He served in World War II, spent 38 years working for the railroad. He was always ready with a smile, a quick draw with a smile. And it's no small thing. He loved to work hard, he loved to give quality time, and he loved to give candy. And I thought it was just like a grandkid thing, but I found out later from his co-workers on the railroad, he did that on the railroad all the time. Like before that was a weird thing to do, he would always give away candy. And he, he was known for it as, a, as an engineer most of his career, somebody who drove trains. He'd have to have a ready bag by the door and he would always have a thermos of coffee, two Snickers bars, and candy that he would give away to other people. And, you know, the caffeine and candy might help with a smile. <laughs> Especially because for a lot of his life, he didn't have his own teeth. It was somebody else. <laughs> so, but I remember the kindness, that personable kindness. And we're going to, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I guess it seems like a good idea. Uh, three stories from Jesus that I think illustrate God's kindness. But before I do, I want to reread this 1 Corinthians 13 passage and put Jesus in there with love because I think that's a biblically sound thing to do. So coming back to our passage, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus doesn't demand his own way, is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that that's who God is. It's the essence of who He is. So, we we'll just talk about three stories of Jesus' interaction with other people to help bring a little bit more definition to this kindness piece. We're focused kind of on John and John's perspective. So in John chapter 2, we see the story of Jesus' first miracle. Jesus and his friends have been invited to a wedding. His mom's there. And a wedding, a wedding party, a wedding celebration is a big deal. It's a big, big deal here on the West Coast, here on the East Coast. On the West Coast, not quite as much. A lot more common on the West Coast to be very informal, smaller weddings and whatnot. Here, it's like big deal, right? Same thing with funerals, you know, bigger deal here than I'm used to growing up. So the, this party was similarly in their culture a really big deal. It communicated a lot and it would have a lot to bear on the family's reputation in the future, how the party went, right? And what happens in this party is that they run out of wine. That's a big deal. It'd be like a bad reputation kind of thing to happen because it means you didn't have enough money, you didn't plan well, you didn't have your stuff together. Right? And Jesus, this is, Jesus' mother Mary jumps in and said, oh, my son's got this, right? He's like, well, mom, time out. Like, this is, my time has not yet come. You ever notice that if somebody thinks that they're a big deal, for stuff to happen in their time is kind of important. On their schedule, according to their plan. 
Anybody know what I'm, like somebody big, big time in you, right? Jesus doesn't do that though. I mean, he notes it. He doesn't do that. Jesus' kindness brings him to listen to the whole story. He listens to the whole story and he, he's, well, first of all, it's no small thing. He's at the wedding, right? Not all guys like weddings. You don't have to admit it. He's at the wedding. He listens to the whole story. And then he rescues the wedding by turning water in jugs that were made for washing into wine. So much so that the party planner goes, hello, most people put out the best wine at the beginning. Some of us know why that is. And save the other stuff for later. You have saved the best for last. So Jesus' wine was good. So, so a little more sense of humor would be helpful. So, so Jesus' kindness, here's how it looks. He shows up. He's the kind of person that gets invited. He shows up. He listens to the whole story. He doesn't demand that it's on his schedule. And then he rescues the party. He, oh, well, that's a drag. That's too bad you ran out. Some of you were drinking too much anyway. I'm sure there's a lot of things that Jesus could have said that would not have been kind. And yet his first miracle, his first miracle is not raising the dead. That comes later. His first, you know how sometimes your first impression of somebody, uh, it it really kind of dictates how you know that person, what you expect of that person, right? So we, um, the, Rebecca and I, our first date, we, we, didn't originally plan for this, but we ended up at a Chinese restaurant that we loved, the Chinese and, and, and Vietnamese. And um, one day we saw uh, one of the ladies whose family owned the place and was always a server there at a totally different place up in Canada at these gardens. And I was like, whoa, like she's not in her uniform. She's with her family. Like everybody's following her around like she's the queen bee. And I was like, different context. Jesus knew that people would talk about him and his first miracle and that that would be included in the conversation of his context. He didn't say, no, that's not on my schedule. I'm going to do it. What did he do? He didn't say it's all about me when it kind of was. Are you with me? He was kind. In Luke chapter 19, we see the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Now, some of you are going to hate me for this. I know it's tax time, right? <laughs> or those of you that file self-employed that have to pay. Those of you W-2, not so much. You're waiting on your refund, right? Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And the tax collector is at that point, he's a Jew, right? And he's somebody who ethnically was a sellout, right? He sold out his own people. He paid for a franchise. And based on the story, what we, what we believe to be true was that because he was wealthy, not only was he crooked, but he had bought up multiple franchises. So he had a region. So he had employees that were under him. And so he didn't interact with the public a whole lot. And he made a lot of money because he would, as long as he paid Rome what they were due, he could charge whatever he wanted to. So he was a crook, right? And he was someone whose selfishness, watch this now, whose selfishness had brought brokenness to his relationships. Who people didn't want to be around. And if Jesus was the kind of leader that just wanted to be popular, he would not have been hanging out with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was short. 
A wee little man was he. <laughs> right? So he probably had short man's disease. Okay, some of you are just like, a little more coffee before you come into church. Right? So he's short, he's got a short man's disease. He's a, not a person that you kind of want to be on. What does Jesus do? He calls him by name. That matters. Jesus knows your name. He calls him by name and he says publicly with everybody around, I'm coming to your house. Jesus shows kindness, right? And we don't see him there on that spot. Jesus saying, you are a bad man because you did this and this and this and this and you, you, right? Jesus shows kindness. Jesus not, not only goes to his house, but brings Zacchaeus new friends. Right? And then when Zacchaeus, through the interaction, comes to a place of life change and repentance, Jesus is quick to show him honor. Jesus is kind. Luke chapter 8. Dr. Luke gives a specific account of a woman with an issue of blood, a woman with constant bleeding. And from the Greek, we draw that not only has she been bleeding constantly for 12 years, but she's also exhausted all of her money with doctors. And just like we heard in Erica's story, we can come to a place of exhausting medicine. And I think God's given us medicine. It is a gift as well, right? But we can come to a place of exhausting medicine, see that a miracle has not yet been done, and get discouraged. I've been there. Absolutely. But what does this woman do? Now, you've got to understand, the customs of these people, Jesus included, were that a woman with that condition was not to touch someone else, particularly a man. She had to go through a purification ritual. There were, there were checked. There were things. She was definitely not supposed to be in the physical presence of God. She breaks through the customs. She reaches just not to put a demand on Jesus, not to ask Jesus questions, not even to ask Jesus to pray for her, not, but she reaches through to touch the edge of his coat because she has faith. God's love is kind. How does Jesus respond? He quickly showed her honor. He said, your faith has made you well. Now, was it the power of God through Jesus? Yes. But was that Jesus' focus? No. God's love comes with kindness. And he quickly honors her faith. When we are in relationship with people that are broken, people that are hurting, people that are lashing out, people that are behaving wrong, smell wrong, act wrong, talk wrong, if we're going to represent Jesus, we don't always need to tell them where they're wrong. It may be that God's not asking you to do that. But what we should do is quickly honor their faith. Be quick to honor what is good. Where they are hungry for the Lord. You hear me? Then 
People who are broken, people who everything in our world today tells them culturally that the church is full of hateful, judgmental people. Not this one. We, we kicked all them out. <laughs> everything is telling them the church is full of hateful, judgmental people. If you will show kindness, you will break down that prejudice. Because Jesus is kind. Jesus shows us God's love. Titus 3, 4, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 7 and 8 from the message paraphrase. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and next to and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. Max Licato wrote this, the kindness of Jesus. We're quick to think about his power, his passion, and his devotion. But those near him knew him and know that God comes cloaked in kindness. Now listen, if we're going to let, in the tradition with C.S. Lewis and Aslan and all, if we're going to let God be God, then we are going to come away with the realization that God is holy. That God is powerful. And that like in the writings of C.S. Lewis, we should approach him with reverence with respect, with a realization that he's the one who created the universe and that is informative to how we should relate to him. Right? God is full of love and overflowing in love, but it is not all that he is. That's why we, like the prophet, should also pray, God, in your wrath, remember mercy. Right? We should relate to God based on who He is, who He has revealed Himself to be, not just our own ideas. God's love comes to us in kindness. And that is what we should represent. It's the opposite of what comes naturally to us in our human nature, which is what? Selfishness, right? I mean, look at any toddler. Right? That's that's what we do naturally. Even the good ones. Right? Me, mine, that's mine. Right? That's not attractive anymore when you're 30. (laughs) Right? That allowing that to go unchecked in our lives is what brings about sin, is what brings about broken relationships because we make mistakes and we mess things up. Right? We mess our diapers. And when you mess your diapers and you haven't been changed, ain't no one want to sit next to you. So Paul wrote in the Romans, the wages of sin is death. There will ultimately be physical death, but it's also spiritual death because it brings about a separation, a separation between you and God. The only true original source of love, hope, peace, and joy. It's so important for us to realize this. Because selfishness will also produce loneliness in our life. It will cause us to want to well, as Erica said earlier, hermit. 
I know that feeling very well. Right? I just want to be alone. Song in Psalm 63, verse 3. Your love is better than life. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I wonder, are we coming to the living God the way that he has revealed himself to us? Remember what Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, I know that it's easy for us to hear these verses and start to immediately examine ourselves and say, I'm not doing good because I'm not kind. Well, did you notice that in this sermon we've not focused on that? Because God is kind and God is our source, and if we will continue to come to Him, He will make us kind. He will. This is not a to-do list. This isn't something that you have to do before you can come in here. This isn't something that you have to do before you can come hang out in my house. Hello? This is the result, one of the results of when we are in a personal relationship with God. When we come to a place where we're more focused on God than anything else, when we're more focused on learning who God is, loving Him, experiencing Him, learning about Him, listening to Him, what does God think about this subject? You think that God doesn't have an opinion on Donald Trump, the president? God's got an opinion! But am I spending more time reading the opinions of others than I am thinking about what God thinks? Well, I wonder why I'm feeling distracted, confused, depressed, and anxious and upset. Let me help you with something that I have learned. It's the only way that I can stand here today not completely depressed and bummed out and overwhelmed with anxiety. God has asked us in this life as believers, to stand between He, full of love, hope, peace, and joy, the only source that will never run out, and our broken world. Now, in that there is a tension to manage that's not a problem to solve. God has placed us betwixt and between. Is there a French word for betwixt? <laughs> what? Entree. Okay, my entree. I'm, now I'm getting hungry. Um, all right. Different word, sorry. Okay, when I, God does not want us to have our back to a hurting world. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down now, right? Clearly, we don't believe that, right? God has not asked us to put, turn our back to the world and be so focused on heaven that we are no good on this earth, Right? And clearly, God has not asked us to turn our back to Him. And only serve myself and this world and its purposes. And it, Are you with me? We stand betwixt and between. Now, what's so important is that in this, in, you know, in this church, I know it's not easy to be a part of this church because we do things like pray about murder. And not a whole lot of people want to do that. But... If I am closer to the world, 
all of the people that are in my life, the challenges, reading about current events and all these things, what, what will happen to me? I will become tired. I will become worn out. I will feel their brokenness and feel less of God's love. And I will over time drift from a pure, simple focus of vision that God has given me and exhaust myself and start to love them out of my love instead of out of God's love. And what happens if I get closer to God and further away from them? Well, I can be overjoyed and happy and loving life and childish and selfish. Especially if I don't listen to Pastor Ben. Because pa- Pastor Ben challenges that all the time. <laughs> right? Oh, it's me and Jesus. Right? And I just, I just drench myself in worship music and the word and this novel and, and this today, you could do something every hour of every day. I'm doing an online conference here and I'm driving to that conference over there and this concert and that. And hey, listen, I'm for those things. They're fun. They're a nice taste of heaven. But that is not what God put you on this earth for. But if all, if I don't have any time and energy for the hurting people that God's put in my life, what, what is going to happen when I get to heaven? Well, according to the good book, what Jesus has to say is that someday he's going to ask me what I did with my time, energy, and money after I came to faith. Oh, remember what I said. This is a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. I need to be in fellowship like this with other believers here weekly. This, yeah, I know that it, it might be hard to imagine this, but this gathering helps you. And your small group helps you. You know, I know that it's not easy. That's why we backed off our small group from weekly to two times a month, which I said I would never do. There I did. I did it, right? I said I'd never, and now I did, right? A small group, God wants us to follow him together because when we are in community, we will start to see if I'm too far over here or if I'm too far over here. And if there's anything that current events are currently doing, it is getting Christians off-center, and off the place of where God has put them. Listen, God didn't ask you to counsel President Trump. Somebody else will. God didn't ask you to give all the answers to all the problems to all your Facebook friends. <laughs> what did God ask you to do? See, when Nehemiah was sent a letter by critics... And he was working on the wall with a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. He said, I cannot come down to meet you. I cannot come down off this wall. My fear is that some of us are coming down off our wall because of problems in our nation. What did God ask you to do? Because according to my Bible, Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor in the same way you take care of yourself, it starts there. Come on, somebody. Don't come down off your wall. God has given you a purpose. This church is bigger than what we see in this room, can and will be bigger than what we see in this room, if 
we will make a commitment to not come down off our wall. Somebody. God has put people in your life. God has put people in your life that need Him. That need for you to know that He is a God of love and kindness. Two more verses and we're going to close. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, which is the results, the benefits, the benefits, the results, the natural results that come from when your life is focused on God. The Holy Spirit produces, not Ben produces, oh heck no. The Holy Spirit produces, right? This kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's a byproduct. It's not a list you aspire to. It's not something you're like, yeah, I'm not good enough. No! If you will love God with all you've got, this is what should come as a result. Oh, the other verse isn't up there. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? I could teach for a month on that verse. God draws us to repentance of sin by his kindness. By his kindness. Think about it. You're here, you're breathing. That means that God did not punish you the way you deserved. Me too. That breath I took, that's God's grace. That's goodness that I did not deserve. God's kindness is good and good for you. It's really different than a deep fried Kit Kat. It might be good, but it's not good for you. The sinful things that we crave, there might be something good in there, but they're not good for you. God's kindness is pleasant and practical. It's good and good for you. So the questions we have on the screen, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. I'd like for you this week to consider what is God's love? What does God's love look like? What does that say about God? What does that say about me? You. Then from that plain, simple truth, what does that mean? And how does that affect today? I'll pray for us, but first I'll read this closing prayer that I hope you're starting to get into your spirit. God, you are more important to me than anything else in this world. Thank you for taking away the guilt of my sin through Jesus. Please help me to receive your love as you intended it. Please help me be changed by your love. Please help me share your love with others. God, today we come to you. We need you. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you that you are kind. That your love for us is kind. That you've revealed yourself that way through Jesus and through so many stories we have of how Jesus operated. I thank you for that. Lord, we believe that our world needs to see that your love is kind and yet we feel 
confused, weak, tired, overwhelmed with just how we can do that. And so today, God, we ask for your healing in our lives, for your strength in our lives. And please inspire us, help us to come away from today thinking about one simple thing that we can do to show your kindness to somebody else, whether that be listening to someone we don't normally want to listen to, whether that be smiling at people, whatever it is, God, help us to see that the simple things we do can share your kindness with others. I thank you for it, for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.